Hello, Robin. Now you're on the garden gate. Hello, Robin. Your fast beat coming my new mate. Hello, 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 hello. Hello, Robin. Now you're on the flower pot. Now you're on the compost heap. Now you're here and now you're not Hello, 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 hello Sunday morning, Sunday morning Sunday morning, I'm sitting on the patio Who's in the shaking tree? Well, I think I Skipping across the nice cut grass, your reds on the greens, it warms my heart. Thank you for tuning in to Hannah and Eric Go Birding, a podcast by birders for birders. I'm Hannah and he's Eric. And we created this podcast to share adventures, sometimes misadventures, and opinions that we have on different birding topics. We're definitely not experts and anything that we discuss that might be controversial, I want you to remember their own opinions and they might be different from yours. I love that song. Isn't it so beautiful? It's like yeah. really peaceful and I don't know, it just makes me want to sit out in the springtime like listening to the birds call. Yeah, so if you guys didn't notice, I did not use a bird call to um, for the intro for this episode. Um, we had And a, I also didn't sing a horrible song. H- and I didn't sing a song. I didn't use a bird intro. Um, we just cut right into an, uh, a song that was sent to us. How many by... people do you think started and they were like, oh, this is weird. This, this is... isn't Hannah and Eric. I, I don't know. I, I'm kind of curious. <laughs> So send us an email if you change this podcast, change to a different episode, thinking that you made a mistake on clicking on it. Um, but uh, it's the song's Hello Robin by Ivor Game. Um, he's a singer-songwriter from London, and he sent us, uh, some, sent us a song and said, hey, would you guys uh, be interested in listening to this or putting it on an episode or something? And we were like, well, yeah, it sounds pretty cool. Yeah, it's beautiful. And uh, we'll make sure to put his information in the show notes if you want to find out more about his music. Um, feel free to check it out. Yeah. So thank you, Ivor, for getting in touch with us. Sue, um, some birding news before we get into what we're going to talk about today. Uh, I think we mentioned in the last episode we have the binocular loner map mm-hmm. on our website. So just as a reminder, if you have any sites, and um, I actually did create a form on it now. So there's a form on our website on that page where you can go in and submit the information about the site specifically so then it sends us an email and yeah so it makes it a little bit more streamlined yeah a little bit less work on on hannah's part (laughs) (laughs) so if you have a location that you would like to propose please um, fill out that form or send us an email you know get in touch with us and thank you for uh, everyone who has already submitted that the map is filling in a little bit which is really exciting so i do want to make a caveat with that though Mm -hmm. so i'm not putting in um locations that offer binoculars for walks like I want this to to be a brick and mortar location that anybody can go you know during office hours or when that location's open to be able to pick up the binoculars because otherwise if I put a location on there and it's walks only or something like that then that could create some confusion so I realize that there's a lot of walks and audubons that offer binoculars when they're doing those walks Mm -hmm. but um this was more but you have to meet on site to pick up the binoculars from the person so it's not a specific one location to go to that you can get them so. yeah so, which i definitely understand you know the the that having binoculars available when you do walks i mean you we usually have yeah. binoculars available when we do things like that but just uh i'm looking for brick and mortar locations <laughs> so thank you for everyone who sent in other places too yes appreciate it so this uh upcoming real soon the global big day we have a team for the global big day yep may I 14th I hope you're either joining our team or maybe just birding by yourself for that uh, for that day. But um, we just wanted to remind everyone that that's coming up on the 14th. Um, and we do have a web page about that too on our website, so you can check out about how to participate with us. Um, there's also an event on our Facebook page, uh, but you do need to go to the Global Bird Birding website to register as a mm-hmm. like as a individual, and then you put our team name, which is Go Birding team um, at the end of your name so then it it kind of tracks you know how many people are participating and you can win a pair of Swarovski binoculars that way yeah 
Um, so the another bit of news. Um, last, uh, I guess it was a week and a half ago now, um, we were on Talking Birds with Ray Brown. Yeah. Uh, if you missed it live, um, if you're not living in, up in up in his neck of the woods and couldn't listen to it live, he did release it as a as a podcast episode. So you can go back and listen to us talk all about. Uh, we talked about Champions of the Flyway yeah. and talk, talk, kind also of, kind of about what we're going to talk about today, but a little. A little bit different portion of it. And Flock to Marion And Flock well. to Marion. So, yeah. Yeah, it was fun. Thank you, Ray, for having us on. Uh, last little thing that we wanted to mention is that Mother's Day is coming up. And there are a lot of great birdie gifts out there. I know everybody in my life is probably sick of getting bird-related gifts from me. <laughs> but I basically buy everybody a bird feeder or a birdhouse um, because you can never have too many of those. Uh, but also, you know, a small pair of binoculars is a great gift, too. Um, and the bird chick who you may know, um, she did a podcast for a long time and she is a a fun personality, you know, on social media as well. She has a new book out called North American bird watching for beginners. So if you're looking for a book for mom, um, or a mother in your life, you might consider picking that up. So rolling quickly through other, other news related things. And we had a couple reviews. Um, actually we had three reviews, which is Three more reviews than we've had in the last two episodes. So that's, uh, it was super exciting. Um, unfortunately, we did have a one star. Um, there was no review, so it's just a one star rating. If you did do that, um, can you just shoot us an email, let us know what uh, what we screwed up so that it didn't work. Maybe, maybe we're just not the right fit for you. I don't know. But uh, we're just kind of curious as to what the, what the one star was about. But um, either way, thank you for submitting your um, opinion. Um, and the next one was uh, from CCD. Uh, Dr. Clem presents a compelling reason for to advocate for making our windows bird-friendly. This was definitely your best podcast. Dr. Clem is a great advocate for birds. You are also for having him as a guest on the podcast. So thank you, CCD. That's that's awesome. We love to hear um, specifics about what what people liked. Um, that you you loved that we had Dr. Clem on. Clem on and everything. Yeah, he, really, was, he was a good interviewer too, or interviewee. Too. I really enjoyed Dr. Clem too. Yeah. Um, and learned a lot about yes. it. <laughs> um, so our last review that we had was, I love how Hannah and Eric are so open and excited about sharing birding with everyone, newbies and experts alike. If everyone could be as enthusiastic and welcoming as them, the birding world would be a better place. Thank you for setting such a great example by Lindy Call. Thank you so yes. much. That that really means a lot. Um, you know, we, we try to <laughs> be welcoming and everything because we know that there is some negativity in the birding world, so we want well, to make just sure. just negativity in the world in well, general. Well, sure, yeah. <laughs> uh, but this is a microcosm of the world, right? Yes, it is. <laughs> We've talked about that. So we're, we're glad that, um, that we're welcoming. So thank yeah. you. And thanks, everybody, who's rated and reviewed us in the past. So um, last week I had an episode come out of Women Birders Happy Hour. If uh, you get a chance to listen, I thought it was really fun. It was Brie Tucker. Um, who is a Canadian birder, and I really enjoyed talking to her. And uh, our drink for that episode was a Northern Goshawk, mm, which was Northern Goshawk. difficult <laughs> for me to come up with. So you can check that out anywhere you listen to podcasts. So upcoming travel for us. Um, we are going, hopefully, um, if everything works out, we have a hotel, but we don't have anything else yet, <laughs> still. Um, I think this is probably the third or fourth episode we've mentioned that. Um, we, uh, Global Bird Fair. Yeah. Up in, up in Rutland. Super, UK. super excited. Yeah, Rutland, UK. Super excited to get up there. Um, never been to it. Never uh, never had the chance. Uh, almost almost had the chance before COVID, and then uh, it kind of went away. Um, but now now it's back. Um, Global Bird Fair is the new name instead of uh, the, just called the UK Bird Fair. So it's going to be... It's going to be bigger than ever, hopefully. We'll, we'll, we'll see. see. <laughs> yeah. Either way, even if, it's not, even if it's not nearly as big as it used to be, it's still 20,000 people or whatever, whatever their number was before. Like this... I feel like we need to remember to bring our, like, boots, our wellies, you know, yes. because I've heard it's very muddy, so yeah. we'll just need to keep that in mind. Well, I guess I guess we'll have to keep that in mind, yeah. Please, somebody send me a reminder, like, a week ahead of time <laughs> to bring <laughs> my wellies. Um, so, then that brings us to our Bird Nerd giveaway. Yes, Bird Nerd giveaway. So, I'm excited about this Bird Nerd giveaway. I was a little um, panicky when we were in Israel trying to find, like, the right thing. I was, like, asking everybody, like, what should I buy? You know, <laughs> because we don't buy a whole lot of souvenirs anymore. And also, we didn't see any, like, souvenir shops. Yeah, we didn't really stop at any souvenir shops. Yeah, we were there for birds. <laughs> <laughs> and so, on the very last day, when we were um, just about to leave, we were at the 
the award ceremony for the Champions of the Flyway, which mm-hmm. we'll talk about in our next episode uh, more about all that. But it takes place at the International Birding and Research Center in Alot, Israel, and they, they, they call it the really long IBRCE. Yeah, I know. It's they they just name. they just give the whole acronym every time the IBRCE. I kept trying to think like, of oh a way gosh. to just say that as a word. Ibris. Ibris. I don't know. Uh, I, but I anyways, I we went into the little store that they had there and just spent a ton of money. So that is working in your favor for, for this bird nerd giveaway. Yes, we bought stuff for us. We bought stuff uh, for you, the listener. That will um, win this bird nerd giveaway. Yeah, prize. so there's a hat, a wooden bird puzzle, a booklet, and some other uh, secret stuff. That I can't you, remember what else was yeah. in there. It'll, it'll be, we'll, we'll post a picture of it on social media like we, like we usually do. Um, and the winner will be um, randomly selected from those people that have written us a review. Going back to how we got a couple reviews this time. So if you want to enter um, and you've already written a review, just send us send us a reminder, send us a screenshot in our email of that, hey, I reviewed you or whatever. The last these the last two people that were here, I think we'll just automatically enter them. The, sure. That we read today. Yeah. Um we'll, we'll we'll toss their names on the on the spreadsheet to be randomly selected. But anybody else, if you've already written one, um just send us an email, let us know that you did. Or write a review if you haven't. Um either Facebook or on any of the streaming service apps that you use. Um and we'll randomly select anybody from all of those that uh that can win and we'll announce that in on our next episode, and so the deadline to enter for this one is uh, Tuesday, May seventeenth. Yes. So yeah, let us two know. Weeks. Let us know by Tuesday, May seventeenth, if you've written a review for us, um, or go ahead and write one, and then send us an email saying, "Hey, I wrote one." Yeah. And we really appreciate every, anyone who has. And, you know, it helps us share the love of birding with others mm-hmm. uh, by, you know, getting a little higher up in, like, the Apple metrics. I don't know how sure. it works. I, I have no idea. literally have no idea how it works. <laughs> but we just we just record and put it out there and, and people listen sometimes. So yeah. that's all I know. So um, this episode is kind of split. Uh, we wanted to talk a bit about, in, in this first little part, um, about travel. So mm-hmm. we've had a couple of folks who have sent us questions, sent us emails, asking about our travel because we have been doing a lot of it lately. Uh, we have been very fortunate to be able to go, you know, Uganda, South Africa. If you guys have been following with us on this journey, <laughs> we've you've noticed like you guys have been everywhere, which. Um, you know, I feel like sometimes, like, we haven't spent any time at home. Yeah, we, our cats miss us. Yeah, so we decided for the first part of this that we wanted to answer some questions about travel and about our travel. Yeah. So we asked on Facebook, on Instagram, what questions do you all have about our travel? And we'll, you know, do an AMA and be an open book about it. Yeah. So um, so I guess we'll just kind of go through a whole list. We, we pulled them and kind of plopped them all down. Um of different questions people have asked. So the first one we can address here, uh, Lori asked us, how best to bird with a non-birding spouse and still feel like both of us are having a great time? So we've been very fortunate that we are both birders. Yes. And we do the majority of our travel together. So this hasn't really been um, a huge huge It hasn't been a hurdle for us to try to overcome. Yeah. Um, but I know a number of people who have non-burning spouses and they want to travel together. So I think one of the things that Eric and I do sort of is, is like negotiate, you know, like I want to go to this place and do these things, you know, what do you want to do and mm-hmm. try to, um, allocate a little time for everybody's activities that they want to do. Yeah. So the thing that I thought about this particular thing is we, we went to France a number of years ago with your parents. Mm-hmm. And we went to a bunch of museums, and then we went to some outdoor gardens and stuff that were like, oh, this is like, like I can't remember which, which castle or, or whatever it was, but it's like this, it was like this whole outdoor garden, but the birds are good there. Yeah. So you can... Well, we went to like the Tudor Gardens. That's what I was thinking, the Tudor Gardens, yeah. So birds are, you're middle of the city, so birds aren't like spectacular great, but you can, you can still get some birding, you can still kind of enjoy it. And you can be with your non-birding spouse looking at these beautiful gardens. Mm-hmm. So there's there's places around the world that are that are like that. Or you, even if you go as far as like when we went to Mindo, Ecuador, like the lodge was just super nice. Yeah. And very comfortable. A, a, a non-birder could probably hang out at the lodge, and you go out in the morning, go go on a bird walk, and then come back, or both go out on a bird walk because 
this spectacular walk. But yeah. uh, that's that's the only thing I can think of. But ha- not having a non-birding spouse, I don't know how the neg- a negotiation would go to be able to convince somebody to come <laughs> to go to someplace like Ecuador. But I think that's a good point. You know that you can kind of bird everywhere. Like when we went to England with when on the same trip that we mm-hmm. went to France with my parents, we went to London and were there for a couple days. Um, and you and I went to Hyde Park yeah. and we stayed a lot right next yeah, we, to Hyde we, Park. We split off for like four hours in the morning or something. Yeah. And so we did that, you know, we didn't see a whole lot in Hyde Park. It wasn't super birdie when we were there, but you know, it's right in the middle of the city. So it's not like we had to go travel really far. And then it was an interesting place. If my parents would have joined us to go walking around, it's interesting still. Yeah. So it's, it's birdie, but it's also interesting for other folks too. And we like going to botanic gardens Oh, botanic a gardens lot. usually pretty good. Yeah, yeah. And those are typically near cities. Mm-hmm. Um, like the one in Singapore that we went to, it was like right in the city and it was fantastic birding, but it was also just a gorgeous place to go. And, you know, enjoy. And usually they're educational as well. Um, There's a lot of, like, outdoor museum sections. Like, so, like, in Tucson, uh, when we went there with my parents, there's uh, (laughs) that great museum. The name is escaping me right now. But we went birding in that museum because they have an outdoor section. Mm -hmm. And then they had, like, all the other stuff indoors that you can walk through. So, trying to find a balance, I think, is important. I mean, you might not get, like, the most incredible birding that you've ever wanted, but you, know, but you, you can, can still go on a trip with somebody that's not interested in birds yeah. and get to a generally good location. I, I think so. I think possibly. So, I'm sorry, yeah. that's not the best answer. But yeah, but, um, yeah I think negotiation is, is kind of a big part of it. Yeah. So the next question we had from Lisa, um, again, we're probably not going to have a great answer to this one. Um, but <laughs> It gets better after this. It does post. get better. Yeah, we, we started off with the hard ones. Um, what's the best way to find a birding travel companion with similar goals and birding styles? So this is, again, a situation where we haven't been placed in this situation because we are each other's birding travel companions. Mm-hmm. So um, generally, we, I, I chose my birding travel companion by starting to date her in, in high school <laughs> and uh, building a relationship over 15 years of just spending spending 24 hours a day together and just like, just like you know, negotiating our entire lives around it. <laughs> um, not everyone has that sort of time. That was almost sweet. <laughs> <laughs> Not everyone has that sort of time to be able to find a travel companion. But uh, so, what, what do you have, Hannah? <laughs> <laughs> so I think um, one of the best ways to, to find a travel companion, like Eric said, we haven't really had to deal with this, mm-hmm. but finding someone locally, you know, um, whether that's through going on bird walks with your local, you know, Audubon or community group and, you know, trying to find someone in that group that you really relate to and feel comfortable traveling with. I think that's kind of the best way. Um, there are a lot of folks that, that just do it through social media. Um, I know, you know, a handful of people that just meet up with other folks that they knew on social media and, you know, talked with. Um, I don't know that I'd be comfortable with that if I was just going by myself and meeting somebody that I've never really met before. Um, but that might be another option too. Yeah. So like for our trip to Minnesota, we met up with, um, the other board members of the Burton co-op and we just, we'd never met each other in person. That was literally our first time meeting each other. And we Mm -hmm. spent, we spent, um, five days, four or five days days in uh, Zaxenbog with them. And so we were set, we were separate rooms from all of them, but it, it was just, we, we went there and we went to one location and all hung out for like almost a week. And then, and it, it was a good experience. And then uh, another instance um, that I can think of was when we went to South, South Africa, one, two of the, um, two of the gals that were on the trip, they were travel companions that only knew each other from local Audubon bird mm-hmm. walks. So they, they had gone on a number of local Audubon bird walks in their, in their area and decided, you know what, we both want to go down on this cruise and go to South Africa. So they, booked rooms together and they traveled together for, for the two weeks that we were, that we were down there. Yeah. So it seems like it's, that would be a relatively good way to, to figure it out if you have the time or if you have a local Audubon that's has people your age or people, you people that share interests with you, which I mean, you're, you're all in the Audubon. So there are, <laughs> there are some share, automatic shared interests. Yeah. But, yeah. Sorry, not a great answer for that one either. <laughs> um, so we had this one come in from Scott uh, through the email, and that's, this is what kind of sparked this. Um, Scott said, uh, we've birded a lot of the you know common areas, southeastern Arizona, Oregon coast, Costa Rica, um, listening to a lot of podcasts. Uh, there's so many places we want to go, but it's fairly unseasoned travelers, 
It would be great to learn travel tips on how people make it work. Are they independently wealthy? Do they have a knack for planning and doing it inexpensively? Yeah, for us. the um, what, Something that we have done in the past is, so I think, what was it, six years ago when we went to Singapore? Something like that. So, something like that. We, uh, we, we were very open about our travel. We knew we were going to be able to take two weeks off sometime over the next year. Mm-hmm. And we kind of had, okay, well, we want to kind of target this time of year. It was like a three or four month span of time, December to February or whatever the time frame was. I can't, I really don't remember the dates, but um, we started looking at airline tickets. Um, We were, we were fortunate to live near a major airport, the Houston airport. Mm -hmm. So we looked at flights leaving Houston, going anywhere in the world. Like we didn't really care. We just kind of wanted two weeks anywhere. And we found tickets for like 400 bucks round trip Houston to Singapore. And so we pulled the trigger, which it was, it's a situation when those tickets that are super cheap come up, you generally have to be really quick. So you kind of have to already know that you want to travel somewhere. You already have to have time tentatively requested off, stuff like that. But $400 round trip to Singapore. So that it's, it's, I guess that's kind of like a a tip or trick to travel. Um, We are going um, if everything goes to plan, we're going to Colombia um, at the end of this year, and it's the same situation. We knew we knew we wanted to go somewhere at the end of the year. Um, we kind of had a plan, and then we saw these these tickets come up for it was like three hundred dollar round yeah three hundred dollar round trip um, PDX to Colombia to Bogota. So it's be, having that flexibility um, s- sometimes because that that's a lot of times that's the the biggest hurdle is getting to the destination. Mm-hmm. So that's. That's like my biggest tip to getting somewhere. And when we were with Singapore, Mm -hmm. you know, and we did that. So we had an open communication with our supervisors. Mm -hmm. You know, we were like, hey, look, we're, we want to do this travel. Um, I might just, you know, text you off the cusp and say, hey, can I take these dates off? But it, it was already something that my supervisor was aware of. And so then she could approve it really quickly because she knew that I was looking for that. And she also um, was really good about like, did you buy tickets? And, you know, let me know when you buy tickets, then we'll figure, you know, we'll, we'll get it squared away and yeah. everything. So I think that's really important. Um, here at the hotel, uh, you know, that we own and operate, like it's, we have a lot of flexibility because I we're, we're in a much different situation than we were when exactly. we were working and, for the government. And I think that most people have. And so that's why we've been able to take a lot of time off. You know, there's a slow season in hotelier world. And my parents aren't, you know, they don't have any qualms about coming in <laughs> and covering it when we're gone. So that that helps out a lot that we have that flexibility in terms of time. Um, and then as far as the cost, like you said, trying to minimize the cost as much as you can with like cheap tickets or like airline miles or something like that. Mm-hmm. I, I have a lot of friends that are tour guides that it looks like they're constantly traveling and part of that, you know, that's part of their job. Yeah. And so that's, I, I always feel like super jealous and it's like, well, the, they're working. You yeah. Know? They're working the whole time. <laughs> yeah. And so that's why they're able to travel and do that because they're on the job and that's part of it. Yeah. So, um, that, Keep it, keeping costs down kind of plays into um, Tim's question that he has. Um, what's your luggage situation for birding travel? Suitcase size, carry-on versus checked, how heavy or light do you pack? Um, and then he, he goes on a couple other things, non-obvious thing that you'll never leave behind, and what's a, what's a waste of space thing that you don't bring with you anymore? So I guess the first one is suitcase size. Yes. So um, we each have like a backpacking backpack. Mm-hmm. and It's the... Not the smallest size. It's the medium-sized backpacking backpack. So it's, I think they're, mine, mine's a 48, hands is a 46. I think that's liters is what the measurement is. Sure. Um, but it's, they're not huge, but they're the, they're bigger. They hold more stuff than the carry-on um, roller, roller bag. But they, because they're, because they fit the shape of the, because they're kind of rounded, they fit the shape of the compartment in the overhead bin in the, airplane that they actually take up less space than a than the roller bags so you can get more stuff in those than you can in a roller bag 
and they actually fit better in the in the overhead bin. So so we each carry one of those bags, mm-hmm. and then Eric has his camera bag, which he can usually fit a couple extra things in there, and that's mm-hmm. his um his personal carry on that yeah, goes underneath it the goes, seat. It fits underneath the seat. It's I, I don't remember exactly how exactly what the measurements are on it, but it's small enough to be the personal item that fits under the seat. And I usually carry just another like regular backpack, mm-hmm. um, or you know like a large bag or something so, like sometimes that. Sometimes just your per your. Uh, my fanny pack, Your fanny thing. pack purse thing. Yeah, yeah. the Mountain Smith Mountain bag Smith. that I got. There we go. Um, yeah, so it depends on how long we're going to be gone for, like what kind of travel it's going to be. Is it going to be cold, hot? You know, hot. You don't need as many things as you do when it's cold. Um, so that that really, you know, kind of pl- helps us make the decision. We really try not to check bags mm-hmm. because I just don't want the hassle of it might get lost and you know what you're going to put in the check bag is something that you you want immediately you yeah know? and and sometimes also the super cheap when you buy those when you're able to find like a super cheap ticket the the three hundred dollars to mm-hmm. Colombia, the four hundred dollars to Singapore those tickets a lot of times don't have a checked bag included in the price and so you have to pay and sometimes that's 50 75 100 dollars to get a checked bag yeah but that so that's that's a little bit of savings there which that's two three meals of in, in the destination that you're going to, but sometimes covered. Sometimes, but, sometimes it's covered. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes it's covered, but also sometimes if you, um, like, if you get in with your two bags or something like that, like, I, you know, the security doesn't really care how many bags you're taking through. Mm-hmm. But uh, when you get to the gate, a lot of times they offer free check, like gate to gate checking. Yeah. And so that, I mean, it, it's I like it more because like you know your bag is on this plane and it will get off this plane with you. Um, so I like that, but also, you know, then you're essentially getting a check bag for free. Kind of, yeah. Sometimes. Sometimes. And, and it depends on the size of the plane and how, how and busy it is and the airline. And there's, yeah. there's a lot of things that kind of go into it. But, um, so that's, that's one way we save, save money and by just packing just what fits into that. And, um, in terms of how heavy and light we pack, um, it's about, I think I only, I really only, the maximum I pack is for seven days. Mm-hmm. No matter how long we're gone, I pack for... Seven pairs of underwear, seven pairs of socks, seven shirts, and uh, like two extra pairs of shorts. I feel like I could wear a pair of shorts multiple times, and it's yeah. all good. Um, and so I pack as light as I possibly can. If we're going to be gone for longer than seven days, I'm doing laundry. That's just it's it's a given. I'm going to be doing laundry if we're there if we're gone for more than seven days. Sometimes it's I'll pack even lighter and I'll go go five days, and then after five days I'm doing laundry. Mm-hmm. But it's tr- trying to keep as much as possible down because a scope takes up a lot of space. Yeah. Binoculars take up a lot of space. I would rather have both and of tri- those. And tripods take up a lot of space. Yeah, so it's it's important to us that we have all of our optics, as many optics as we can carry so that we can see what we want to see as best as possible while, when we're going where we're going, which that, that kind of goes into the, our scope. One of us carries the scope inside our bag and the other one carries the tripod and tripod head. In the bag. So they're kind of interspersed with our clothes just kind of shoved in and padded with our clothes. Yeah. So the next one was, what is a non-obvious thing that you never leave behind? Mm -hmm. And um, my thing that I was thinking of is we got this uh, flashlight from Celestron that is a hand warmer. It's a flashlight and it's a charger. Mm -hmm. And it's not that big and it's really heavy duty. Um and it's really bright. And so I found that that has been incredibly useful. So I will definitely always bring that on my trips with me. Yeah, I love flashlights. I, I would <laughs> I would say that too. But also another like really weirdly small item, carabiners. I have I have like three extra carabiners. Um, my water bottle clips to, I can clip my water bottle to my bag so it doesn't count in terms of size because it's clipped to the outside of my bag. Mm-hmm. Nobody even notices it when I'm flying. I just clip it to the back of the seat once we sit down. Like, it's not, like... It, it, it makes my water bottle kind of, like, this piece of thing that's, like, a third item that I'm carrying, and but it's I have, not really... I have a carabiner on my um, my Mountain Smith bag, mm-hmm. too, and, like, I'll hook my hat to that or water bottle, yeah. like you said. So, yeah, definitely carabiner can... Like, a good yeah. sturdy one can help out. Yeah, it's just really, really weird. Like, a small... It's, like, a, it's like a two-inch carabiner. Yeah. And I have, like, five of them that I just have clipped to just random things. So it's not a climbing thing. It's not super expensive. It's like a dollar. Yeah. But it's it's a non-obvious thing that I never want to leave behind when we're not going. So what do you think is a waste of space? A waste of space. That's Tim's last question. I don't, so I feel like we've gotten to the point where 
I don't, I'm not bringing anything that's a waste of space anymore. So I, I can't remember what I've cut, cut out. So I know that I've cut out a lot of clothes because mm-hmm. when I was a kid, I would like pack my whole like wardrobe because it's like, I don't know what I'm going to want to wear. Yeah. Um, and I so, guess for, for our, um, honeymoon, we, we brought, it was like our first time traveling internationally. We brought a ton of clothes. Yeah. Um, so for seven days. So you, like, oh. <laughs> usually what I do is like, we, we wash all our clothes like the day or two before we go. And then as we're, um, like folding it and putting it away, like we pull out all the things that we want. And usually like the day before we go or when I'm doing my packing, I'll take that pile of clothes and then take out like two or three things that it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm probably not going to wear it. Yeah. So, um, that's really the biggest thing is that we've limited clothes and then shoes Oh, um, shoes. That's an important one. Yeah. Shoes are big. Shoes take up a lot of space. Yeah. So we usually each have like, uh, you know, our birding shoes, which end up usually being tennis shoes and uh, just like one pair of casual shoes, and which I, is, I, for I you actually, is just one pair. I just, I just bring one pair of shoes unless I know for sure I'm going somewhere where I'm going to get really wet and I need boots. Then I'll bring my hiking boots, but I don't pack those. I wear my hiking boots and then my tennis shoes. I mean, I, I have a size 11 foot, so... It's not like gigantic huge, but a size 11 shoe takes up so much space in your luggage. It's like I, I can I can get like four extra shirts if I don't put uh, if I don't put shoes in there. So shoe, having extra shoes if you don't need extra shoes, that's kind of that's that's my waste waste of space for myself. Um, so then Mary asked, how do you get to so many fest- awesome festivals? And I feel like that one is not really fair because Mary's the reason why we've gone to a couple <laughs> festivals. Um Mary coordinates, uh, helps with Spring Chirp and then the Rio Grande Valley Birding Festival. So we've been really fortunate to have a great network of friends and birders that um, either ask us to come or, <laughs> you know, we can we can email them and be like, hey, can I come? Yeah. So um, that's how that we've been really fortunate to be able to participate in so many of those in the last couple years. Uh, but also, you know, I really enjoy going to festivals. It's a great way to like connect with other people and see other birders when we don't get to see a whole lot of birders where we live. Despite the fact birders come out here. They just, they just don't swing by the hotel. I know. They're very rude. They go in eBird at Haystack Rock. They eBird half a mile away from us and then leave town before we can, before we catch them. So if you all (laughs) want to go look at puffins and eBird at Haystack Rock, you need to hide that list because I'll see it and I'll know and (laughs) unfriend you on Facebook. Um, so yeah, I, I really enjoy going to festivals. So we've kind of prioritized that in the last couple years, Mm -hmm. uh, to try to go to different ones and see what they're all about. So uh, Sharon asks us, um, how do you keep your e-birding lists when traveling outside of the U.S. and without cell phone service? So in e-bird, the, the e-bird app, you can download packs ahead of time, and without cell phone service, your phone can ping um, your GPS coordinates. It may not be able to load a map. It may not be able to load anything else, but you can ping GPS coordinates um, from your cell phone when you're in um, when you have mobile data turned off on your phone. And you can get you can get your location, and if you've already downloaded the pack prior to leaving, so if you went, let's say Israel or South Africa, wherever, you can download that pack before leaving, and you can then make your lists with relatively accurate um, um, locations. When you get to Wi-Fi, you can then update so that you download the specific part of the pack where you were at, because it's using the entire pack when you when you don't have any data. And packs are split up into multiple sections. That's that's why some packs are huge because they're split up into a thousand different sections. It will then download download the specific section of the pack that you were using and update it and get a, a more updated list. But you can you can do it without cell phone service um, and make eBird lists relatively easily now. Well, and one thing about um, traveling internationally, so we have uh, T-Mobile or Sprint or whichever it is now. I can't yeah. remember. They bought um, each other. I don't know. It's which Weird. isn't like the best cell phone service in the whole entire world. It's cheaper than, you know, what we were using before, mm-hmm. which is AT&T. But they also have international um, travel, uh, like, pack, or it's not even a package. Well, it's, it's standard. It's, it's standard on their on their services, international information. So you can text for free in, like, every country. It's like Most countries. It's like four countries. It's like basically the communist countries you can't text for free. Out and Lizutu. And Lizutu. <laughs> um, but there, it's only, like, 10 cents or something for a text. But the... Um, 
The also the cool thing is you get mobile data. It's very 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 slow mobile and data. We've also been really afraid to use it. So we've I mean we've never used I've never used it mm-hmm. until we were in Israel and we were talking about how we wanted to be able to you know post on social media during the champions of the flyway. And so I was like, okay, I'm just going to bite the bullet and turn it on and, and post a couple times. And I looked at our cell phone bill yesterday and it didn't change. Like yeah. we didn't get charged for any of that. So I was on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram a couple times throughout the day and didn't get charged. So, yeah. so um, that was, that's really interesting that the T-Mobile and Sprint is just kind of like mobile internet and it's 2G speed. So it takes forever you can't download videos you can't upload videos you can't do any of that stuff but for straight like text posting from for social media and stuff or or even downloading pictures your, even downloading your bird packs you, you you can download those things and get that information not very fast but you can get it so, so. i mean there's there's options for it because we were looking at getting a mobile hotspot but now i know that yeah. i don't even need that we don't even really need it i mean it's slow but it, it works it gets yeah. the job done. <laughs> <laughs> so Holly asked, what's the best way to find a local guide for a day or a half day of birding? So um, we've we've done this a couple different ways. We've mm-hmm. just like Googled and found somebody in that area and uh, contacted them because a lot of times these tour companies or travel companies, they'll have at least one birder or like know of a birder who yeah. is a guide in that area. So Googling Facebook, you know, ask all your friends. There's a birding travel Facebook page. I would ask on there, you know, if anybody has a recommendation for a guide, Birding Pal, which is a website, is a really great resource too um, that has guides listed throughout the world. And then also like we've talked about, with going to Ecuador mm-hmm. that we had one lodge that we were, you know, starting at, we knew we were going to that lodge and the owner of the lodge was able to help us, um, build a trip and, and that included local guides. So yeah, there's a couple so, routes to do so, that. So generally if, if you're going somewhere that's a birding destination for the family vacation, mm-hmm. if for whatever reason your family's like, Oh, we're going to Costa Rica. Um, you can contact lodges, all throughout that whole area and the lodges usually contract or have on staff guides. Mm -hmm. And so you can contact them directly and be like, Hey, who do you use? Can I, can I get their email? Can I hire them through you? However, however you'd want to work that, but it's not like super crazy hard. If you're going to one of those specific birding destinations, uh, Costa Rica, Ecuador, Colombia, stuff like that to find, to, to, to find somebody, if you're going to somewhere in the States, I can see it being quite a bit harder because we don't have a lot of birding lodges in the States. Yeah. You have birding destinations, the Rio Grande Valley, um, San Diego, Florida, like all these places, Arizona, that are really good for birding, but there's no like, there's not very many like lodges mm-hmm. that contract with guides. But then Audubon's might be a really great resource mm-hmm. too. I mean, somebody contacted the Portland Audubon the other day about wanting a guide out here on the Oregon coast. And so they contacted us and asked us if we were, you know, available to yeah. guide them around. So, um, I think just really using your resources like that. And, you know, we're one of those resources. Like we have, we have friends around the world, you know, we would be happy to help you figure out a guide in a certain area. So if you have, if you're having trouble, you know, you hit a brick wall with trying to find somebody, you know, you're welcome to reach out to us and we'll see if we can help. I mean, we'll or at tell least you, point you in the right direction. Yeah. We'll tell you, no, we <laughs> don't know anyone there or whatever the case may be, but we're happy to help with that too. We're a resource. Please. Yeah. Use us. <laughs> um, so then Freya asked, how do you pack your scope and your Eric's camera and binoculars and tripod when traveling on a plane? So, so we, we kind of covered that with Tim's question, but um, basically it's the scope. Like I said, scope goes into the bag mm-hmm. kind of like second. We have some padding at the bottom, but scope goes into the into our main main bag, completely surrounded by clothes. Tripod goes in the other bag. So for the tripod, mm-hmm. what I've started to do is like my backpack has my backpacking backpack has the mesh sides on the on it that you normally put like a water bottle yeah. into. So I have a water bottle on one side and then on the other side I can actually fit the tripod into it. So I put the the legs into the the mesh thing and then it has like a strap on the outside and so it's like streamlined to my backpack and doesn't take up any space inside. Yeah. So that that's really saved me a lot of space on that. Um we usually only bring the one spotting scope and tripod. Uh so we each have a little piece of it. We, and then, we split up the gear among two bags. Yeah. So that really helps us out a lot. But also binoculars, you know, we each have our own pair. So we'll put that in there. 
Um, we figured that <laughs> if we get into a situation, what we need is our phone, wallet, and uh, passport. And so mm-hmm. we really try to like figure out where those are, and then that's our priority thing. Optics are our second priority, and then clothes are our third priority. Yeah, so if, uh, if you have multiple bags that you're bringing, if you have a personal item and a, um, and a carry-on, or if you have to check a bag, making sure that the working on order of priority of things, of what you need, starting from that personal item, working your way out, carry-on, and then checked bag if, if you end up with a checked bag, is trying to keep, keep your optics and your phone wallet keys um, as close as possible to that personal bag. Mm-hmm. So that personal item, if you, if you can fit binoculars, maybe even if you can fit your scope into your personal item underneath to toss underneath the seat with you, and then tripod over into the carry-on, and then if you have to go over, close all the way over to the checked bag yeah. sort of thing. Like we're working in priority of what you need the most. And like, like Hannah said, for us, it's that wallet, passport, and phone. Mm-hmm. Because you can, if, can if you run into a situation, if, if you run into a situation, if you have your wallet, you can buy something. You have your passport, you can get from place to place, and you have your phone, you can contact people. Mm-hmm. So it's worst case scenario, you have at least those three things, and then kind of optics being like close second to those things. Um, so Cheryl asked any trips for traveling for birding on a budget, which I think we mentioned like our key things mm-hmm. already. Um, you know, trying to do the cost of flight like prioritize that. Yeah. Uh, but also, you know, we, we kind of, we've made the conscious decision that when we travel, we might be uncomfortable. And so sometimes, you know, we don't stay at a four star hotel. We stay at like cheaper hotels to try to save a little bit of money on yeah. that. Um, we, we've stayed at a couple like hostels or there was a little cube place that we stayed when we went to Singapore. Yeah. It was kind of cool. That was cool. Uh, but it was, it was not like, like a super comfortable place. It's like literally a bed and the, and a shared, uh, a bed in a shared bathroom. So that's that's kind of our, our tips for traveling on a budget. Um, uh, there's probably a lot more that you can do. Oh, there, there's people. There's a ton more stuff that people can do, but there. This that's what our willingness to go to is, and yeah. there's there's experts on budget travel that are way more knowledgeable than us about that. But that's that's kind of just what we do in order to make it more make make ourselves able to go travel on more things and help be able to afford to do what we do. Um, so then Rosemary said, what non-birding item do you make sure you have when you travel? Uh, and I think we kind of covered that with Tim, but mm-hmm. like my, you know, the flashlight is yeah. the thing that I really want to have. And Eric. The, the, the carabiner and um, ha- having a bunch of carabiners, but also the non, <laughs> non-birding thing, um, phone, phone, wallet, phone key. wallet, a passport, passport. Yeah. Like we always think phone wallet keys when we're leaving our house. Cause that's keys. You need keys to get back into the house, lock the house, all that stuff. But, but that's uh, not going to help us when we're traveling. <laughs> you, you, keys aren't going to do you any good when you're traveling. So phone, <laughs> wallet, passport. Yeah. Yes. Um, so Susie said, what are our thoughts about long distance traveling for birds with regards to the environment? Um, so yeah, we've had a lot of conversations about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eric and I, you know, we usually travel usually on a normal year, like maybe three to four times a year, yeah. uh, plane travel this year. Of course we've, we've done a little bit more than that. So it, it's a, it's a complicated thing. So it's, it's really, it's really a personal, like what, what you're willing to put up with my, for me personally, the way I look at it is there frequently when we go fly places, if we're flying from Portland, we have to go from Portland to Seattle and then Seattle to wherever, cause Seattle's the, a bigger airport than the Portland airport near us. Um, almost every single time when we fly from Portland to Seattle, the plane is full or close to full of people that are traveling on business. They are people that are traveling back and forth multiple times a week flying that either that leg or further to, they're going to Boston, they're going to Chicago, they're going, they're going wherever they're going a long ways away. And they do this multiple times a week. Their, their company pays for them to do it. And I'm flying once in six months. And so I, I don't see what I'm doing as as big an impact on the environment as these companies that rather than having a virtual meeting, they're sending people physically over traveling thousands of miles, hundreds of thousands of miles a year um, flying on a plane as opposed to me that I'm flying three times total over the whole year. So that that's kind of the way that I look at it on, on a grander scale of who the – airline industry is looking at as their customers. They're not looking at birders as their customers. They're looking at people that are sending people for meetings. They're, they're looking at these, um, these fortune 500 companies that are, that are sending 
multiple planes full of people all around the country all year all year round constantly back and forth from meetings so that that's the way to myself i justify that okay well we fly a couple times we also don't commute to work so we're, we're we live on site at, at our or live close to on site at our employer so we don't really drive anywhere so we have a much lower um day-to-day carbon carbon footprint mm-hmm. so it's it's i mean it's, it's a personal issue if, if you don't feel comfortable doing long distance travel that's that's fine if you feel comfortable I, I mean personally i feel like it's t- to each their own with that sort of travel. And I also feel we have a fairly significant impact on the community that we're traveling to with the money that we're bringing in to that community and showing that community or the government over the governmental body over that community that birding has value there. And so the environmental impact, I don't, it, it may not be negated. It may not even be break even, how, however you want to look at it, but we're bringing money into these, com- these smaller communities that can be a net benefit to the community that they know that, hey, if I continue doing restoration, continue doing conservation work in my community, birders will continue to come. And so then we can take this area of possibly possible habitat that could be degraded or is degraded and improve it because people are traveling here mm-hmm. for it. Yeah. So long, long wordy answer. What he <laughs> said. <that>. <laughs> but I mean, it's a, it's a personal choice. It, it really is. Um, yeah. So, uh, Kimberly asked, are your, a spotting scope and a tripod a carry-on item? And, um, as we mentioned a couple times, they yeah, can be. for it, us it is. Um, and then Tama said, what's the spiciest food you've eaten <laughs> and where was it and how did it connect to burning? Which is a difficult question. Um, the spiciest food I think that I've ever eaten was, there's this restaurant chain in Texas, probably other places called Papacitos. Mm-hmm. And they have a bunch of different like Papa seafood or something. I don't know. It's a big chain. Anyways, we went there. I had a taco salad that made me just like cry. I felt like I was having an allergic reaction <laughs> to it. Like, I don't even know what was on it. But <laughs> it was the spiciest thing that I've ever eaten. And... Um, it relates to burning because we had just moved to Houston for a job that I got at a park that was a, a really cool burning spot. So that's yeah. my relation there. See, I don't think my spiciest food relates to burning. I, I don't know. I don't know how I can relate it to burning, but the spiciest food that I remember that I've eaten is there's a restaurant in Port- the Portland area called Salvador Molly's. It's a pretty cool place. Um, if you've ever watched a man versus food, um, he goes there and he eats these habanero fritters that were like super crazy hot. And I did not eat those because I was like, I don't have the guts. I don't have the guts for it. I love, I love spicy food, but I, I just don't, not going to risk it. I got the jambalaya um, and they have a scale of zero to 20. And I was like, okay, well I'll go over half. Oh, 12, 12 out of 20. Sure. 12 out of 20 on the spicy scale. <laughs> and that, that was so much worse than I was expecting. I could not eat it. Like I, it was just like, I ate like, two like spoonfuls and my I'm like sweating and I'm like this is just miserable I can't do it but the jambalaya was so good but the next day when it cooled when it like cooled off to room temperature like I because you got it to go because I had to get it to go I could not eat it there like I three or four spoonfuls that's all I could do the next day when I reheated it it wasn't nearly as bad but man it was so spicy (laughs) and that's when it was good It, it wasn't good the night of but it was really good as leftovers um so just a couple more left so klaus asked about the scope and the tripod and everything uh for flight so uh same on that one Mm -hmm. and then casey bird said travel insurance or nah which you know we have actually really talked have strongly about or we've had conversations Mm -hmm. about getting travel insurance we've never ended up buying it um, this l- last time we talked about it was when we were going to South Africa yeah. and we had the cruise and we had a huge amount of money invested in this trip. And so we were like, well, what happens if one of us gets sick and we couldn't find a travel insurance provider that covered for COVID. And yeah, so for cancellations due to COVID, we could, we could find that it would cover for your medical expenses for COVID if you were diagnosed in country and had to deal with stuff. Yeah. But nothing that would travel, that would cover for a cancellation due to COVID. So we decided not to purchase it at that time. Um, but we've also, you know, talked a lot about how like travel is a risk and, yeah. you know, we, we do the best we can um, to try to maintain our safety. And, you know, like we said, we always have a know where our passport phone and uh, wallet is. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I've almost gotten mugged a couple times and you know that 
it, it's a scary situation. And I don't know what I'd do if those items got stolen, but I feel like if I have those three things, then I, I'm pretty comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. So we, um, generally it's, it's one of those, you keep your head on a swivel, but you never know when something's going to happen. If you are, if you're, if you're concerned at all, travel insurance is not very expensive. It's, yeah. it's not like it's something that's going to break the bank and it can cover for your laptop, your passport, like the, the time that it'll take for you to get your passport cover for you in a hotel to, to stay in country or whatever. So like you can get coverages for not a lot of money. Um, we don't, we've never done it, so I don't know what companies do it, but we, we have looked into it a little bit. So we've never got it. Um, if you're def- if you're concerned by all means, it's, it's not, it's not a bad idea. It's not something, it's not generally a ripoff to just go ahead and get travel insurance. And also a lot of credit cards have travel insurance yes. on them. So, um, you might just look into the terms and conditions of your card mm-hmm. to see what it covers and then see if you feel like you need additional insurance for anything that it lacks. Yeah. Uh, and we also have travel credit cards that, you know, are specifically like to help travelers. And so that's why ours might have it, but maybe yours doesn't. Yeah. Um, I think we've probably talked about, like, I got that fancy like chase card. It's like, yeah. That gets you into the, the, the lounges. The lounges and things like that and like you know miles and all that stuff um so i think that one has pretty high travel insurance mm-hmm. because you know that's that's who as, for, as long as travelers. you use that card to purchase the the travel yeah um so our last one is from kgirl 883 who says favorite travel location to date so i i'll, I'll do a recent trip um uganda yeah the um uganda kind of going on that trip blew my mind. It, it, my, it, it ruined my expectations for every other trip. I think we'll, we'll, we'll see if we go on another trip. There's no but, point going anywhere else. Now. Yeah, there's no point going anywhere else. I might, I might as well just stay home as a hermit and just never open the windows and doors again. Okay. Just well, stay inside. I'll leave you here. Um, you can take care of the cats. I guess so. But it, it, it was just mind boggling. It was, it was amazing. Um, so that, that would, that would be my favorite place that we've been. So my favorite place was Mindo, Ecuador. Mm-hmm. Um, the hotel that we stayed at, I know I've talked about it several times. It was just incredible. The the specific cabin that we had looked at a snag and there would we had 70 birds from sitting on that that couch, yeah. which is just incredible. And like the little town of Mindo is so nice. And there's birding locations that were like walking distance to go look at toucans. Like it was, that was an incredible stay. Yeah. So um, that's my favorite right now. Yeah. So that, that wraps up all the questions that we got from people all across all sorts of social medias. I think we might, uh, maybe we'll open it up and we'll try to, in the future, do shorter segments of uh, questions about uh, travel are, and stuff like that. Oh, your backlog questions. This is backlog questions. Because pe- people, so many people have been asking us because we have had a chance to travel. Um, we've been super lucky over the last year. So um, so we'll, we'll, we'll try to, maybe we'll open it up and do shorter segments about this, but, um, we, we wanted to move on, um, and quickly kind of do an introduction to, um, to Israel, our travel, our trip to Israel real quick. Um, and then our next episode, we'll really go into detail about, uh, what happened and why we were there and all that stuff. So, um, we flew to Israel recently. We did. And it was incredible. Um, so we went for the champions of flyway, which we'll talk about in the next episode. However, so we landed in Tel Aviv at about 3 p.m. And that's about, it was like a four-hour drive down to Elat from mm-hmm. there. Um, so we got in the taxi that Alan um, Kakal, who is an incredible person, and I'm just Director one of my of best friends. Director of the Jerusalem friends, Birding Observatory. And who made this whole trip possible for us. Um, so she arranged for a taxi to take us halfway, and then she picked us up the rest. And we got into a lot after dark, so we didn't really get to see much of it um, <laughs> that day. But we, you know, slept really well and at this really neat hotel that she had arranged for us called the Blue Hotel, which is typically a spot for scuba divers. However, they are open to birders coming and excited <laughs> they'll, they'll about that. They'll accept other people. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they have a like a great patio on the ground floor. We woke up, there was a cafe next door that had everything you could ever want. It was 24 hours. They had groceries, they had fresh coffee, fresh baked goods, desserts. And we picked up a couple of things from there, headed over to the hotel on that patio, which had a couple cats walking around (laughs) and, uh, you know, just lots of herbs growing, covered. It was beautiful. Ate. And then uh, Alan came and picked us up. Yeah, so we headed out for our first little bit of birding um, with uh, with Alan. We went up into the mountain range that's just northwest of the city of Alot. Um, the where Alot is kind of situated is right on a point of the country. 
It's also right at the north point of the Red Sea, so there's this whole um, this uh, flyway that goes through there, and because of the mountain ranges, it's a it's a valley. It is spectacular for migration in general, but specifically hawk migration. Raptor migrations are gi- just ginormous, like these like these numbers that are insane. It's for, blowing it's, Eric's mind. It's blowing my mind. Yes. Yeah. So it, like you think of like you go to Panama, you you go to some of these places in Central America. For those that have been down to Central America, we've never been there, but. Um, like Hawk Mountain up up in the northeast, or you go down Veracruz. to Panama, Veracruz, like these these all these different places all along through Mexico and through into through Central America that have these huge migrations, and a lot is the same. It's the same situation where you have thousands upon thousands of birds flying by, and it it was it was amazing. We went we went with um Ellen up. Up into the mountains, um, met up with uh, Yoav uh, Perlman, his group that he was taking around. And he's the new director of the BirdLife Israel. Yes. Um, so that was really cool. That, that was cool to fi- finally meet him in person. Know, we were right? supposed to have met him um, a while back in Uganda, but, uh, but we finally met him in person. Um, but we made our first stop, um, 250 common buzzards within like a minute <laughs> of stopping. Um, a bee eater, um, a green bee eater. Common House Martins, a black start, which was super cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is just like 30 second stop. And we're just like, let's, we're, we want to catch up with, with Yoav and his group. Which crew. I'm obsessed with bee eaters. I think they're, they're so cool. I think they're the coolest bird. Yeah. I will fight anyone that says otherwise, but I think <laughs> they are the absolute coolest bird. They're so pretty. They're like mot mots, but like more active mot mots. I was going to say, you it's know? like the mot mot of the old world. It is, yeah. <laughs> and I love mot mots. <laughs> Um, yeah, so that was just a brief stop, but we saw a ton of birds and then we continued up the mountain, not even knowing what we were up for. Um, and we got to an overlook and right as we got to that overlook, there was a Temenix lark that was in the middle of like this gravel area. And at first Eric and I saw it and I was like, it looks like a horned lark, but it's not. (laughs) Yeah. And they were like, like the, the. That's where we met up with um, Yoav's group was yeah. right there. And, and we were like, well, there's like a horned lark there. Or it's like a horned lark. I know it's not a horned lark, but it's like a horned lark. What, yeah. what, is, what is that? What is that? We just, and then finally they're like, the, when, when somebody else finally got on, somebody that knew the birds to the area, they were like, oh, it's a Timonix lark. Which I think it was on the WhatsApp. Somebody posted it on there. Yeah. So it was like this whole, um, it's, it's a bird that's not normally at this elevation, but because it's migration, anything can happen. Um, yeah, so we checked that out, and we, we actually spent about an hour and a half there just right at that overlook. And in that time, we had about 5,200 common buzzards fly over us. It was just these huge kettles of, you know, each kettle had maybe 200 A, cu- a, cu- birds. a couple hundred, yeah. Yeah, and they would just rise up and then start streaming over us. So we got some really good looks at those. There were a couple black storks, um, some luster spotted eagles, booted eagles. Oh, a white-crowned weed ear. Like, the, yeah. all, all these all these birds, tons and tons and tons of migrants that are just, like, flying over. And the, the, the white-crowned weed ear is just, like, in the parking lot. And then, I know. And then trumpeter finches just fly right over our heads, just oh barely gosh. above our heads. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so many cool birds. The, the hawks, I mean, I need to look, I need to do a lot more research because a lot of the hawks, like, I don't know how they're picking them out. Oh, my gosh. Like, lesser spotted eagle and booted eagle. And yeah. The, the black kites, like, we've, we'd seen a bunch of those down down south from there. But, like, so many black kites, so many buzzards. It was just mind-blowing. Um, so, after, <laughs> after we were, like, peeled away from there because nobody wanted to leave. We headed to Ophira Park, which was right in the middle of a lot. Mm-hmm. And it's just like a city park that had like a dry fountain and there's a little restaurant in the middle of it. Um, nothing special, but that's where we got our lifer rye neck, yeah. which was incredible. You know, when we were in Uganda, Herbert promised us we'd get a rye neck and he didn't get a <laughs> rye neck, but they are just the coolest species. They're a woodpecker species and they just have this insane way of moving their neck that if you hold it, I mean, you, you need to look at the video of it. If you, when you hold it, it's neck is just like looking all over the place. It's like a it's, snake. Like it is like slithering around trying to, trying to see what's going on. So it was just sitting on the ground eating ants, you know, like it wasn't an incredible bird for us or something. <laughs> um, we also had Kretschmar's bunting, which was a really special bird that we didn't get a whole, see a whole lot of Didn't them. get any good looks at them, really. Um, they were always backlit. <laughs> Spanish but... sparrows, which look a lot like house sparrows. House sparrows, but more face markings, a little brighter. Yeah, and then rosering parakeets were flying over. Mm-hmm. So that was an incredible stop. Yeah, the, the parakeets are non-native to the area, but they're... 
they've they've been introduced. It's kind of like the parrots and the parakeets in the, the American South. So like uh, through Texas and Arizona and Florida and stuff. How how there's all those different species of parakeets and parrots. The rose ring parakeets are kind of the same thing over there. Um, at that point, we stopped in that restaurant inside the park and had lunch. Really good burger, mm-hmm. and uh, the wings were pretty good there too. I, I had a, a Texas burger, which it was. They they call it a Texas burger, and I was like, well, I gotta get it because it says Texas burger, and it was like a um, a rolled up um, kielbasa, or it wasn't even it was kielbasa. Like a veal it was sausage. it was a veal sausage. That's what it was. A rolled up veal sausage on with a burger also, and so it was the greasiest like <laughs> splatter greasy burger I've ever had. But and they had to have a, a Q-tip, or a Q-tip, uh, um, toothpick. toothpick in it to hold the sausage from uncoiling and so it was like i was so scared the whole time i'm gonna get this cute or i keep saying cute i was gonna get this toothpick right through the top of my mouth that I is was, eric's biggest fear it is it is it is like a big fear of mine uh <laughs> an irrational fear of mine yeah so from there we went to this place called k20 which is uh settling ponds yeah there's the salt uh salt ponds oh yeah yeah, yeah. okay salt ponds and uh it's KM 20, technically it's a kilometer 20 as you're heading north out of a lot. Yeah. Um, but that is where you go to get the flamingos. So we finally got to see the greater flamingos. Um, but we also went there because there were sightings of Caspian plovers there. And I know that is definitely a bird that we wanted to see. And, uh, and as we're recording, I'm literally wearing the shirt that says Caspian Plover. But there were only four of them. <laughs> and, you know, they were only there for a split second because some people saw them. We saw them. And then the next person, I think Yoav, came to see them and they were gone. Yeah, the, the next the next group. No, Yoav was with us. Um, Jonathan came by. Oh, next. okay. Um, they, they, the, um, one of the other leaders um, came by and they, they missed it probably 20 minutes after us. So it was... It was real, real close, um, real short timing. I think it was there for like an hour. The the group that was there. So we, we just happened to be like in the right place at the right time to yeah, really go chase it. That's how migration is sometimes. And then on the way out, a super cool species. Oh that my gosh! Is just like they're they're so interesting looking. The Liechtenstein's sand grouse, like they like this yellow yellow eye ring or eye skin that's all around it with a black black dot that makes it look like it's got a googly eye. <laughs> um, so that was fascinating. So if you know anything about sand grouse, you know, they don't, they're not super mobile. I mean, they like, most people only see them like when they're coming and going yeah. at dusk. And so somebody had found kind of like a roosting location for them that was right along the highway. There was like, right as you're leaving um, the salt marsh or the settling ponds, they, uh, there was like a little tree area right on the side of the highway. And they were, there were four of them just like sitting there. Yeah, so it was a group. It was a couple males and a couple females, or maybe they were immatures. I'm not, not sure, but um, bright yellow, like face marking with like this googly eye, and they just like bloop 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 as they as they wander around, kind of ha- hanging out in the heat of the day, waiting until it cools off again, so then they can then go eat and eat and drink and do all the stuff that they do to live. So because it was such a long drive um, to get up to go do, to go do those night drive, um, we stopped um, at five ish six ish something like that it was it was not that late in the evening it was a long ways from sunset um and i'm gonna probably butcher the name um because i don't think they ever said the name of the nature reserve that we went to um but uh she's off um nature reserve um it was it's a known location for arabian warbler and there was a handful of other species that we were looking for we got some really good looks at some green bee eaters yeah and sand partridges that were running away from us they were kind of like running all throughout the whole area but i got a big head because we were like looking for the arabian warbler like we hiked i don't know like half a mile in and we were all kind of spread out looking for it and on the way back you know we were just kind of chatting with somebody and i found it in a tree yeah it does and i i almost got almost got pictures of it but i didn't i missed the picture but it's a sensitive species so the um any lists that you try to find are hidden yeah. um for it but uh but they're just out there in this nature reserve we had to we had to hike quite a bit and kind of wander around and find particular trees that um they may be associating with um but it was it was really interesting that we just happened upon two of them that i mean we, we happened upon them in the same way that you happen upon something when, when you're with a guide yeah like the guides generally know that known location they're gonna be there but um but we were, we were hoping, and it was on our way out when we finally saw the Arabian warblers. But it was little, little tiny, small warblers, super, super cool little guys, um, very active feeding. And, oh, yeah. and, and the, when we were out there, the um, they started doing this uh, chasing. Um, it's I, I guess it was a breeding uh, breeding behavior because they just they did this whole display where they like 
chase each other down to the ground and back up. And it was a whole like loop the loop sort of thing. Super, super interesting. Oh, I was going to say, and just a really pretty bird too. I mean, like white underneath and then it has a, like a thick black cap, a gray back, and then a black tail. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just, yeah, a really pretty little warbler that I felt very honored to be able to, to see because I, I totally had, was thinking we were going to walk out of there and not see it. Yeah. Well, cause we were walking out of there <laughs> yeah. and it was like, well, I guess we didn't get it. Um, but I guess that's, that's how, you know, you turn around and you're like, all right, I give up on this thing. That's when you find things. Yeah. So unfortunately, um, we dipped on all the night birds. <laughs> um, we went out to, um, the places for the night jars. We went out to the places for the owl, the desert owl. Um, and it, we, there was specific permits that they had to get to go to these locations. Um, they can only go to them a certain number of times a year. They can only bring so many people with them. Um, mm-hmm. only one vehicle. There's a whole bunch of rules because these, the night jars and the um, and the owls are are protected species, so they they need to make sure that they're not overplayed, they're not over chased, any anything like that. So it's like once a year, maybe twice a year, you um, gets to bring people out to these locations and show it off. And we dipped on the night birds, which <laughs> happens. Yeah. I mean, you you don't, you don't always get what you're looking for, but it was still really interesting because we got the Arabian warbler on the way up there. So yeah. I was I was happy. I was excited about I was, that. I was having a good time. Um, so our next episode is going to be much more about Champions of the Flyway. Yes, and more, more adventure. In less, Israel. Less question answering. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, if you do have any additional questions about travel, feel free to reach out to us and we'll send you a you know an email or something like that. Yeah. Um, so thank you all for listening to our podcast. We hope you enjoyed it and maybe learned something. You can rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Music, and anywhere else you listen to us. If you'd like to connect with us, you can do so by following us on Hannah Goes Burning and Eric Goes Burning on Instagram. Our Facebook page is Hannah and Eric Go Burning. You can email us at Hannah and Eric Go Burning at gmail.com. Our TikTok is at Hannah and Eric Go Burning. Our Twitter is at We Go Burning. And also our website is www.goburningpodcast.com. And please help us share the love of birding with others. <laughs>